Does safety make us safe is the question that we are pondering today on Totally Classic. Totally Classic is a podcast where two best friends get together and through from, I should say, uh, divergent uh, points of view, uh, find the Venn diagram overlap of those seemingly divergent points of view. And I say that sort of defining and redefining something uh, in rapid sequence, because I think that's going to be part of what we're addressing today. Uh, we live in a culture that in many ways is obsessed with safety, uh, from safety belts to uh, helicopter parents to nuclear arms accords to arguing over gun violence uh, this past couple of weeks, um, especially we're recording this um, on April 7th, uh, 2023. Uh, happy belated Good Friday to anybody who listens to this. And so we're going to ask that question and we're going to examine that question, how it plays out in society and how it plays out within ourselves. Um, and despite divergence, uh, a good conversation can always be had as long as you embrace curiosity and love. I'd say that's the central thesis of, uh, of what we've been exploring so far in this. And I hope you enjoy it and uh, bring along your own. I don't know about y'all, but like when I listen to a podcast, um, I absolutely speak back to the people who are in any sort of conversation or roundtable one, I'll start talking as though I'm in the room. Uh, so I highly encourage that with our podcast, even if you have to pause, um, because some of us, uh, he says, pointing two fingers at himself, uh, are loquacious. Uh, the loquacious one, my name is Brendan McNamara. And I am Andy Swindler. And this is Andy's question today. So Andy, take it away, buddy. Does safety make us safe? Yeah, I feel like today's question had a had a few more variations and evolution than typical. Yeah. Um, and this particular formation is intriguing, I think, to both of us because it allows us to examine uh, the idea of what is safety, mm. and and then what is the outcome of that, perhaps more more broadly. And in this moment, I'm thinking. One way to look at that is safety feels more individual to me and probably more emotional in the way that it connects to what I believe is our most fundamental biological instinct, which is simply to carry on as an organism, mm -hmm. which would was one way to think about safety, right? Uh, it's just the most basic, like, you know, am I, am I not being subjected to any threat that could end the end the persistence of my organism or this life yeah uh, whereas whereas the idea of make us safe to me is like a broader concept mm -hmm. of, of, yeah. of like you know we when we you and i talk so much about different identities and different political structures and and just you know what are the perceptions of of sort of what violence and harm is being done perhaps often compared to reports that if you dig deeper might be contrary to popular opinion about who's safe and who's not yeah um, and you know that yeah so a, a, under that question to me is really what is the relationship between when fear leads us to make decisions, whether on a 
minute kind of individual basis? And then when do those, when does that same fear perhaps expand to creating policies? It could be anything as simple as maybe, well, I don't know if it's simple, but something at your <laughs> local school yeah. to an entire city to, you know, expanding out into political realms. And yeah, this is right on the heels of yet another school shooting, which, you know, I should go without saying, but we're, we're both, whatever disappoint, whatever disagreements we may have, we both agree that this is always a tragedy when there's a school shooting. And yet this one has some pretty interesting reaction points to it uh, that we do feel worth exploring today because it it's a pretty interesting way to look at safety for different identity groups and sort of how we are socially responding Mm-hmm. To, the, to those notions. Um, uh, you know, I live in Chicago. We just elected a new mayor and mm-hmm. it was my can, my candidate of choice, Brandon Johnson. And there's some elements there that I'll touch on uh, in, in regards to yeah. what I think is a relationship between supporting communities and mental health. It, you know, I will say versus the police. Uh, Brandon hasn't committed to actually defunding the police, but I think he is committed to not funding them anymore so he's kind of taken he's taken the absolute middle road there as far as i can tell um, <laughs> but um so that that those are alive for me um yeah i'll i'll pass the baton back yeah this is i mean this is one of those subjects that i want to be very cautious not to skip past my favorite part which is uh delving into like semantics and being like i mean does is already I mean, you could spend 45 minutes talking about does, uh, another 45 about safety, uh, make us, oh my gosh, make make is could be its own thing or make us is its own conversation. Us is this, an entire conversation. And then safe as compared to safety is almost this entire whole conversation. So I'm, there is, I'm actively, I just want to speak to this. I'm actively resisting the impulse to do that, but I'm just addressing it like the elephant in the room. So, so the elephant feels seen. I think that's one of the most important things to do, by the way, uh, with the elephants in the room is at least let's uh, not only just address them, like mention them, but I'd like turn and face the elephant, let the elephant know, hey, I see you. And you know what, elephant, I'm going to incorporate you throughout this conversation naturally, because you're a big old elephant in the room. So it's it's inevitable that we'll speak about you. So that's what I'm going to say about all the semantic things, because I think you pointing towards the real world, and I'd like to point towards the world outside as well as the world within uh, to, to address this. So I'm just saying that all in order to like kind of get it out of my body uh, 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 somewhat. Very, uh, <laughs> very, 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 bank, very Banksy. Uh, I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, I think you just outlined the next six episodes. So that's great. There you go. Yeah. So uh, today we're really just going to focus on does. We're going to really question does. Uh, no, I think we're a, a hilariously sort of safety obsessed culture and we're very bad at creating safety. Um, so I think, uh, for example, like um, child-led gentle parenting, we're in an era of gentle parenting, we're in an era of helicopter parenting to a degree that, especially as a parent in this era, is remains hilarious and memeable uh, on a daily basis uh, from prior generations. Uh, who see parents who basically have diaper bags for their kids at the sporting events and the kids are like 10 years old. Um, it's like, oh my gosh, you've never stopped. And you have like the juice box or the water bottle, the juice box and the water bottle and the snack. And the kid kind of like continually runs over to the parent, uh, even though they're nigh on at puberty. Um, 
and the parent is there at all the events. You know what I mean? We're in that, I think, phase of uh, existence. And I think parenting is just one way with, that this is witnessed. But I think that uh, assumption of parenting, and Pixar does a good job kind of uh, addressing modern parenting, by the way, if anybody just wants to, to enjoy go much uh, an animated version of probably what we're going to end up discussing more maturely, quote unquote, uh, today. Uh, but I see that as a, and especially as it played out in the past three years, as a, um, what leads us to pretty harmful, unsafe instincts. Uh, I think chasing safety uh, is where I think we're well past the Rubicon of trying to be far too safe. Because um, you, when you bring up words like harm and violence and that sort of thing, we're in an era where I don't know how many people, honestly, I don't know what percentage of the population believes this. I assume it's somewhere in the 10 to 20% of the US population believes that like words are harm or words are violence. Um, so then, so that if people are trying to stay safe from words, then we're, I think we're well past, and we, to the degree that we've already seen, we've talked about in other episodes, to where the, the First Amendment, right, one of our, like, our foundational, like, shared principles uh, is just beyond under attack, that um, I think we've got, we've already gone too far, and it's it's shown that safe, pursuing safety, or as many people term it, safetyism, um, it has made us profoundly less safe, meaning that we're profoundly less stable, um, and we're in such a heightened state of fear about things that are not existential, but ideological, um, at best, uh, assaults upon ourselves. That's kind of my, I think that's, I'm sort of trying to <laughs> miasma my way into like, I don't know, what is going on around around me? But back to you before I start getting into how that affects me personally. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm reminded of, I know I've referenced the book Sandtalk before, written by an indigenous uh, man in current day Australia and an Aboriginal man. And he, um, one of the things in that book he references is just how we stunt the growth. We, we quite broadly, I might reference as, you know, the West, uh, stunt the growth of our children which i think you just referenced in, in a variety of ways yeah and while at the you know, same time generally i think i perceive a, us i'll speak very broadly looking down on cultures where children are um maybe have have their own children at a much younger age than we might find acceptable, which yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe you might know this, but I believe the age here, at least I'll just zero this back down to America, at least is increasing. Like we're having children much and much later yeah, in, into our thirties and even our forties, which I think is referred to as a geriatric pregnancy. So it's yeah. I think anything to, past like 34 is a geriatric pregnancy. I think if I recall correctly. Yeah. Uh, which and that's probably a whole separate topic <laughs> like unpack that but, <laughs> but but he's referencing like hey you know we in an in an and our aboriginal culture you know we're allowing our children to mature at a more natural pace which means they mature more quickly which means mm -hmm. that they're actually more or less aligned with the biology of nature when when we actually yeah. become able biologically to have children uh, and there's, you can read the book. There's a lot of stuff in there, but that that comes to me. It's just like, oh, another yet a sub question. Like, oh, how are we how are we stunting our our growth and our our maturity and our children, um, and and to what end? You know, is how much of that is yeah. just 
some conscious or subconscious desire for them to remain children because I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever met a parent who <laughs> was thrilled that their little little child was no longer a little child. Um, that's a hard thing, I imagine, as a parent. Uh, it can to, be difficult, to, yeah. I, I, th- I mean, I think in general, we are a society, and this is maybe just a, somewhat a consequence of being like phenomenally wealthy, relatively speaking, to, to much of, to many other parts of the world, um, is that we want to stay young forever. Um, and so if our, chil- if our children grow up, then that means we're grown up, and then, oh no. And, I, and again, I, I speak to this again, pointing fingers at the society and pointing fingers back at myself, because I, I think I've talked about this podcast, I've only, um, since I turned 40, uh, and had already had children, I started referring to myself as a man. That's a brand new thing for me. Didn't even, would never even consider it. And there are certainly many cultures around the world where when you're 12, 13, you know, bar mitzvah age, uh, son, you become a son of the commandment. You're like, ah, today you're a man. Or when, when a, a girl begins her menses, then it's like, ah, today you are a woman. We don't have much of that in our culture. And we certainly are like, we might use that language. I'm sure plenty of people still do. But we don't, we we are more and more like neurologically aware. You're like, well, the brain doesn't really finish, like kind of finish uh, evolving or growing or whatever until late 20s. So then, I mean, really, are you even an adult? Are you even ready for these things and blah, blah, blah? As though somehow, again, this sense of evolution or completion is necessary for maximal safety. Um, funnily enough, though, look at our culture, like our our children are, keeping it on children, where uh, our children are going through puberty, like, like as young as has ever happened in recorded history. So it's very funny that like, you know, there are children as young as seven, eight, nine going through puberty pretty regularly. Um, I think it tends to occur um, uh, with more frequency in uh, amongst uh, black folks for some reason. Um, and there's all sorts of who know, like seven different theses as to why that's occurring. Uh, but in, I mean, in some ways we're trying to, I feel it is, it is a deliberate trying to stunt the growth of our children, perhaps on purpose. Um, in order that we can stunt our own growth and kind of, because maybe in some ways we feel unsafe in stepping into positions of authority, um, even in our own lives. Because uh, there's a lot, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, there's a Spider-Man problem there. Yeah. And I, since you didn't exactly mention this, but you remind me, I've I've spoken to a number of Black parents who, you know, a, a thing, unfortunately, in their culture is to have the talk. Is is to yeah. say, you know, look, when you you encounter a, a police officer and various other, whether they hold that kind of power and literally like a lethal weapon, or, I mean, hell, in this day and age, we might assume anybody's carrying a lethal weapon. Yeah. Um, just to say, there are certain ways you ought to behave that you yeah. need to behave in order to remain safe. It'll increase your chances of surviving and decrease yeah. your chances of of having a. a harmful if not lethal uh, altercation and it just breaks my heart every time i hear one of those stories because uh, that's just so so far from from my worldview so so oh, in that way yeah so in that way and this this may be one area we diverge a bit um but you know from my worldview and you know we've said it many times but you know i tend to collect more stories like that probably than read read studies about it and you're you probably do both, but I, I know you go much deeper in the studies. Um, you know, it's it's just not something I can really relate to. You know, oh, I have. I mean, I mean, growing up in a small town in Missouri as a white boy, 
I, I was, I just roamed free. I mean, I, and, and so there's, there's a lot of things there and I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't chalk all of that up to being white uh, or even male, really. I mean, a lot of that had to do with that time period, you know, in the eighties in yeah. a small town where it, it's just, I don't know, things felt different. I don't, I don't know if they actually were different or if they just felt different. You know, I don't, yeah, I don't remember yeah. hearing about school sh shootings um, and, you know, or being, a, I don't remember, I never once growing up had a fear of going to school uh, other than, okay, now this is actually an interesting thing to, to divide because yeah, I, did, I didn't fear, it never even crossed my mind that somebody might show up to a school and, and you know, with a gun and start shooting people. That's just so far out. Oh, interesting. I've been talking on about the other, this people the week, yeah. On the other hand, do I feel fear often? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was I afraid to go to school for personal reasons and emotional reasons? <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, just, just <laughs> for all the maybe typical reasons a kid might have as an empath, I'm a little extra sensitive to certain things. Um, yeah. I was very afraid in the eighth grade because I was in a new school. I was bullied. Mm. I was very lonely. So that, that you know, yeah. but even there, I, that's, that's interesting for me to pick apart in the moment, like the two sides of, of this particular question, I think, which is, yeah. you know, object, objectively, do, do children have a reason to be afraid now for their lives? Um, which I think is yes, compared to what, when we grew up. And then, and then what is the idea that anybody may show up and be afraid, regardless of their identity or their history or, or, yeah. or any part of it? Yeah, I think we're, yeah, I think we're always afraid. Well, that's interesting. I think this is one of the cool things that uh, is hopefully helpful for people in the general premise of the show. It's like that people can talk about anything. There's no thing that they're like, oh no, if I bring this up, um, you know, whatever, I'm going to be canceled or this person's going to hate me. And listen, that'll happen to you in the world. I think there's so many stories about that. You know what I mean? That people like in, in college, you know, that's like a prevalent statistic now that people are like, oh, you feel like you can't express certain views or you'll be ostracized. Um, so maybe that is happening. I don't, I still can't tell if it's happening or if it's just being reported more, you know what I mean? So there's a, there's a bias of, uh, of coverage kind of the same way with shootings or whatever. Um, so, but the funny thing is, is this is a cool thing is, uh, so I, I was given the talk. Um, I grew up in many small towns, like as a white dude, but I was absolutely given the talk of like, here's how you're supposed to talk to police. Uh, uh, I think by the time I was seven or eight, I was already, I'd certainly had encounters with the police, uh, where police like took, um, what was that? This is like third or fourth grade, at least. Uh, police. We always knew that if police came, you ran. Yeah. Although my mom taught me that her dad taught her. Uh, so her dad gave her the talk that was like, when police come, you like one of the first things you need to know is uh, when she was like a kid, she would play out in the streets or whatever. Um, she was like, when the cops come and everyone runs, because that's the natural instinct of children, at least in my experience, life experience for multiple generations, when the cops come, you run, you get away from the police as fast as you can. The police are a th essentially, for me, a multi-generational threat. Police are a threat. Uh, secondly, uh, her dad told her though, don't run. Like you don't run, you don't make yourself prey, essentially. So if everyone runs, they look guilty. And so they're the people that are going to be chased down essentially so if you like you say if you haven't done anything wrong stay still 
<laughs> It'll be like T-Rex. Don't move and they cannot spot you. Don't breathe. <laughs> They're not like raptors, okay? They're more like T-Rexes. No, uh, I just watched Jurassic Park recently. Uh, I frightened my uh, seven-year-old daughter with it. She wasn't ready. Sorry. Sorry, kid. Um, but you know what? Again, I try to, I'm the, I'm the father, and this is uh, part of, I think, part of my thesis too, is that we've, in sort of post-feminism, and I consider myself a feminist, uh, this is why we've gotten to this over-safe uh, culture. But uh, yeah, you run, you run from the police, and then I've had to sort of talk, I think, in multi-stages throughout my life as to like how to deal with the police. Um, and of course, this is also to do with the fact that my mother has had encounters, like negative encounters to the police, I don't know, dozens, dozens of times or whatever. So I like have a life experience. And my dad, uh, you know, uh, has had many negative uh, consequences. Like, so I've just come from a family that like, we have an adversarial relationship to the police, even while knowing, you know, we might know people, you know, a couple degrees away from people who are cops. So I've had to talk my whole life. So then I'm, that's like very normal to me. Um, and then I've been afraid. Can I ask you, follow, go ahead. Follow yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it about getting caught or about getting killed or both? Uh, it would be about getting caught and then the harm just, the, in some ways it was like the nebulous harm uh, that they could do to you and that cops can get away with, I've known this since very young, cops can get away with all manner of violence. That's kind of part of what makes them police is their ability to like get away with stuff. Now, I'm opposed to qualified immunity, that degree of protection, but I understand the importance safety-wise of there being a safety group who can get away with assault. Like a, a police officer can assault pretty much anybody because to grab someone, to touch someone is assault. I've been threatened with assault by police officers multiple times in the past couple of years. Um, they, they're they very willing and ready to do it, by the way, folks. Doesn't matter who you are. They're, they're happy to threaten you within, I, I've been threatened just for asking why. So I, um, now no one's pulled a gun on me yet just for asking why. So that can, you know, that can, that can go up and down. Um, but yeah, they, uh, no, just, ge just general, I would say general harm. They can do you harm and they can do you harm and get away with it. So they can right. crack your skull open and then you should be like, yeah, he, he tried to run. So I cracked, I, I busted his skull open. I've also been afraid of uh, school shooters since I was probably seven years old um, of people coming into that. Now this is for me, this was through media. Um, there was definitely kids who brought weapons to school. Um, since I was little or whatever but again I've lived in like New England and redneck areas and stuff like that so then like whatever rednecks are used to people being violent um <laughs> although I've never thought of myself a redneck till I moved to that I've always thought of myself more as white trash but it's a different category however I've been afraid of school shooters largely because of uh an Australian movie uh called Fortress um that came out in like the early 80s and uh uh Red Dawn so to me that my what I was I've been distinctly aware of the, that feeling of being like, what is that sound while sitting in my school desk and be like, when you hear a weird sound, you're like, oh my gosh, wait, is this the moment when people came in? It was always going to be men. I've never been afraid of women coming in and shooting. So that was an interesting thing about the Nashville shooting. Um, and then, and I've mostly, I would say, been afraid of like agents of foreign governments and or the US government. So I've been afraid of like soldiers usually like either self-appointed soldiers or soldiers sort of from, from somewhere else although also like people who are there to like kidnap and harm i've been kind of scared of that um, my whole life so i just think that's interesting because we have a lot of identity points we went to the same college you know what i mean we have a lot and if you looked at us side by side you would we would have a ton of categorizations uh, in common uh but you know just vastly different life experiences in that realm into i think in, into the the awareness of the lack of lack of safety in the world
Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I need to go back. I don't, I feel like I watched Red Dawn or at least heard about it, but I can't really remember much of anything about it. Um, yeah, I was allowed to watch a lot of things when I was at my dad's house when I was a kid. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound safe. No. Uh, and it, in some ways it wasn't. In some ways, you know, in some ways it wasn't. Well, but in the context of, and I, I don't know if I connected with that thought earlier, um, as we tend to wander around, but the idea of, of connecting all of that back to the maturity of children and and yeah. the growth of children and even you, I don't know, maybe taking a risk with Jurassic Park and saying, well, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. Uh, another one that comes to me, I just was flying last week. And I mean, it, most people, uh, I'll just name in the way that we talk about it, like in the woke community, woke religion, uh, would suggest that it's unlikely, if not impossible, for somebody who looks like me to be pulled aside at the airport. Mm. Well, last week, I was pulled aside and had a very intimate down to the groin frisk yeah. uh, out in public. They did give me the option to go in a room and I was like, no, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, and I, it was amazing. I mean, I was wearing like joggers and a t-shirt. Maybe, maybe they were too yeah. loose for them to really, maybe that's it. If they're, if they're loose, you know, it's easier to conceal a weapon or something, but sure. I'm just like, all right, well, <laughs> data point of one, uh, that, that, that led me to believe it might be more, more random than not. Um, but again, I tend to skew, as a lot of us, I think, in this society do, which you're, which often kind of seems to just blow your mind. <laughs> How many of us skew towards anecdotal evidence uh, versus, you know, actually going and finding a study about who, who, who's profiled and who's, you know, frisked and, and whatnot. Oh, yeah, that um, sort of thing. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, yet, I think that's mostly, I think that's mostly how I, I think anecdote, though, sparks the, for me, it sparks interest. So I'm like, oh, wait, and then, because then I have to, for my own reckoning, I'd be like, well, wait, is this typical? Is this atypical? Did they do this for this particular reason? Because I remember post yeah. 9-11, my stepmom, who's Persian, Irani, and she has, an, she looks and has a name that would suggest she's from somewhere over there, over there, um, that uh, she had more flat, like, there, there was a there was an uptick in the amount of times that she was sort of her bags were pulled aside um so i think we we definitely have anecdotally you know i've, I've noticed that before and the same thing is but i was in that i was like okay well that's something to look out for and then my curiosity goes okay well that is that happening regularly or am i some sort of statistical outlier you know same thing even questioning this is why you know anecdotes interesting as to like i had the talk or i've been afraid of school shooters my whole life is that typical? That's just my personal experience. I have no idea if that's prevalent amongst amongst people of our generation, you know, divided by racial right. category or anything like that. I don't even know if anyone's conducted such an experiment. We shall see. Yeah. One thing I, I wanted to, I think we'll probably weave in and out of um, police. And as you mentioned, like the state monopoly on, on violence. Um, and, I, and I do want to well, I'll just say now, so speaking quite broadly, I I do believe that, you know, building community and connection and having honesty and integrity together and being able to really have hard conversations and really know each other and come together, as, as I think is what we always attempt to do here. Yeah. That, that ultimately, and mental health, and we could list a lot of things, like 
I believe generally that makes us safer as a species. I, I think that's it, why we pursue it too, yeah. Yeah, um, whereas I do consider myself an abolitionist when it comes to the police. And rationally, I consider that to be um, like taking a really extreme view to, to try to bend something. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced and this may seem totally contradictory to naming myself as abolitionist, I'm not entirely convinced that in this moment in time that police serve absolutely no valuable purpose, nor sure. should every single person in prison be released immediately. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't believe that would actually make us safer to do that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do. The reason I say an abolitionist, I do imagine some distant you know, many generation world down the road uh, that that has so deeply invested in community and family and societal structure and and just mental health that that those things become almost or entirely un unnecessary by any by any reasonable um, measure of it. Mm -hmm. You mean and like having a an un? I mean, you'd always need you always need some sort of enforcement of force, and you'll always need it in some sort of multiplication, meaning to overpower the powerful who are seeking to harm another. But you mean as like a centralized, uh, like a centralized consistent unit, essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That can just kind of come in and, like you said, they just they have. A pretty ridiculous amount of power. I think. I think whether we say it or not, most of us probably believe and just know that they can co commit a lot of violence and basically get away with it. Yeah. It and and I think that happens in a lot of smaller ways than than we often see on the TV or or sort of we're naming here and yeah. there. We're, we're we're trying to hold them more accountable. Um, and there are there there are examples of communal structures where that don't don't really have a police force and if if somebody where where like it's seen as as you know if somebody commits harm that's basically treated like a mental illness right off the bat and then and then hand, you know brought into a communal structure and treated with 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 love and you know compassion and all of that um so i i don't know it's it's just hard to in this moment, from where I sit, I want—I believe in it, and, and yet it is actually hard to visualize, like what that society looks like, the sort of post-police, you know, non-police society looks like. So, yeah. and I just think, well, how, how, and I, and I, I don't know, I, I don't know how much I trust anybody who says otherwise, because we've we've all grown up in this, and it's surrounding us, and it's just in the air, and it's in the water, and it's in our blood. Um, yeah, yeah. So one thing I also wanted to say is um, about like there, there's something in the, the worlds that I'm in often with diversity, equity, and inclusion and activism and social justice, et cetera, where we talk about safe, safe space versus brave space. Mm. And I totally understand the argument for brave space. I mean, to me, it's both. Mm -hmm. But some people think it's an, it's an either or. They're like, well, no, 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 it's not. We can't make a. We can't make the space safe, yeah. For, especially for certain people, like like safety is impossible. 
for certain identity groups. Yeah. It just doesn't exist. So it's about the it's about being a brave space where we can come and I think as we do here, actually, I mean, like I've said from the very beginning, like this is my space to to be more raw and to experiment and to be less edited, right? And I'm yeah. sure I'm gonna say things I'll go back later and be like, oh crap, I said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just to be straight up incorrect. Yeah. Just say things and be like, oh yeah, right. I was I was wrong. Whoops. All right. Well, cool. Keep trying. Right. Like how like how liberating is that? Right. Yeah, Not to have yeah. to feel like I have to walk this tightrope. Yeah. Um, that's also why I've never really publicized this. So um, <laughs> uh, but so that's intriguing to me. And I'm now with yeah. a company that has you know, we've gone all in on like safe space technology. And it's just like all like everything, you know, it has nuance. Uh, so um <laughs> To me, that's that's about psychological safety. So again, like what makes us yeah. feel like, and then that relates to basically regulating our nervous systems, and then and then that connects to all sorts of things around trauma, which I'm still you know, pretty early in exploring. I think, yeah, uh, you know, and, and 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 it ties back to something you said earlier about like our words harm, and yeah. and it, it, the way I'm currently connecting that they they can be harm is if somebody. If we re-trigger, uh, you know, re-traumatize somebody or re-trigger a trauma traumatic response, then, you know, the nervous system, their person's nervous system will will react in a way and release all kinds of chemicals and things that, um, if done like once or twice, uh, you know, to escape a threat, are designed that way. But if are are done perpetually yeah. over and over and over. Um, I think do cause harm, right? And just yeah. just what they do to the body. So that's the way I c would connect the idea that you know do words cause harm. And the, the last thing I'll say is another little anecdote I heard from somebody in one of my communities the other day. Who somebody who come I don't know her, the whole story, but they they came from a lot of traumatic. Um, uh, they had a lot of trauma earlier in their life, and then they came to a, a, a you know a group probably similar to. The ones I'm often in, and yeah, you know, somebody I, I can't remember if they were like doing agreements about safety or if somebody just named like I don't feel safe, and then this person was just like flabbergasted. I mean, I I think genuinely confused. Like she's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, there's there's cookies over there. Like we're like we're all sitting. I don't know. I don't know where it was, but like let's say we're all yeah. sitting in like a a church like meeting room and there's there's like cookies and refreshments and you know because where they came from it, like safety meant like no, no 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 i'm like in threat of physical violence you know? yeah so yeah the, the door's how, locked how and could, someone is beating me yeah <laughs> yeah like how could this environment where we're all just talking and sitting and having refreshments so I was it was fascinating to hear them say that and just just really think like oh my god like safety means so many different things to so many different people yeah well that's I think that's the key thing that's why dialogue is necessary um to determine basically who is having what would be termed um a quote-unquote mental health crisis um meaning or that's how we used to say it and I'm totally fine with this I don't understand I'm, I'm down with like someone's crazy um you know what I mean? That's I mean, crazy. It's just a, doesn't have to be. I know people it has a stigma. Uh, we're all crazy sometimes. And that's totally fine. I think human beings are crazy generally. Uh, so 
meaning they act irrationally and act irrationally repeatedly and they do things contrary to their own let's say safety right uh, i think it's very normal so so if someone says oh my gosh i don't feel safe the really that key question is is that true you know what i mean this is always my thing with feelings in general so then you don't just go oh gosh let's attend to that person as though they are unsafe explicitly because in many ways you don't want to in any way uh, exacerbate their false feelings if they if they are false um, false feelings of lack of safety um because 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 a really good question is like is i mean is safety really rel truly relative no it is of course depending on the like the ability for someone to withstand punishment and I think that we're as a society already see this heading, uh, and I know this may sound silly, but ice baths are an excellent example of how we as a society are becoming very culturally interested in extreme adverse conditions and placing ourselves daily in extreme adverse conditions in order to stimulate all those responses, evolutionary survival responses and say, shut up, shut up, shut your mouth. You don't get to rule me. You don't, you don't rule me. And these are, I mean, this is a great thing about, I, I've done ice baths or whatever. I don't love them. I don't find it enormously pleasant. Um, but uh, it, in, it, it pro provokes that from a truly evolutionary, like deep, like, no, you are unsafe. This, if you, if you were to stay here for, for extended periods of time, like harm could eventually come to you. Uh, it's, it provokes in a response that's saying, oh no, you're in a place that's not safe for your body. This is way too cold for your survival. Like you will die. If you fall, if you fell into this water out in the world, for example, in, in the, in a place where ice, you know, ice would be on water and water would be this cold, you could certainly die. It is absolutely within the realm of genuine threat. And at the same time, nope. Also right now, this is not a threat. So having to, having to, now, of course, that is, this is the thing, this is, this is voluntary, but at what point does someone become so unsafe because the more, the, the more uh, adverse events you avoid, the tighter and tighter your like little safety or the, the, in some ways, the looser and looser your safety bubble gets. And then your bubble is wide. And then your once your safety bubble is 15 feet wide, you're a crazy person. Like you're, because then you're literally seeing threats where there aren't. I mean, that's a function of schizophrenia. So we, we, are well aware of that of that um, functioning in that way. So that's an interesting thing. I think that we all need to do, and that's always the thing I never understood about being triggered. You're like being triggered. Oh, good. Now let's work through that together. Let's kind of breathe through that together. Let's let's do through that. But you don't go. Oh, okay, well we can't talk about that. Or this is a space where you won't be, where those things won't happen. You're like I don't know how how safe is that for everyone? Because at least for me, I feel phenomenally unsafe in a safe space. I feel very unsafe in a space where then people can just say, I don't feel safe. And then that means we all have to stop talking about that thing, or we all have to stop even pushing on that particular issue. Um, in which case you're, again, this is, I, I like being a naturally contrary personality is because I am I hopefully helpful to the world. And that like, when someone has that response and I was like, okay, well, your response causes the opposite response in me. So then what do we do? We're one in one right now. Now, as a Christian, I'm like, I'm here to serve to serve you ultimately in a lot of ways but my question there is like what best serves you does it serve you to sort of acquiesce to your concept of safety or do i i would say we have to examine what is genuine safety because in order for me to love you i have to work only for your highest good 
And if your highest good is pro continued provocation when you don't feel safe, then that's what I do. If my if my high if your highest good is relief from that pressure, then that's what I do. But I don't instinctively know, and neither do you, like which one that is. Which makes which makes pursuing actual safeness, uh, no doubt, a very complicated process. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Just shouting something down. I going back to the ice bath piece. Um, I have heard anecdotally that that's very good for the nervous system. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I'm looking at a book actually over my shelf. I, I don't think I ever finished, but it's, it was really good. The first part, anyway. That's that's just my mo, by the way. Not, not for this person to take it personally. Should should he ever hear this? But uh, Damon Young, and he starts out by telling a story. I can't remember where he was, but. Um, it was, I think it was the river and it was like all these people were doing like the, the polar bear plunge thing. And, yeah. Yeah. And then he just starts out the book by being like, that is some white boy shit. Like, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't have to go jump in a freezing river to feel to get that rush or to, to volunteer for, you know, the, the, the temporary, you know, thrill of being unsafe or whatever. So he just reminded me of that. Um, that's funny. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and that's a great thing. No, but that's a great quote, though. Uh, and, he, and he's wrong. <laughs> he's full and on I'm, wrong. And I'm sure yeah. I'm, and I'm, sure I'm yeah. woefully misquoting it. Oh, it no, no, but, he, but even so, like he's, I, 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 listen, share that first thought. It's perfectly normal for us to have thoughts that are incorrect. I'm sure I've said some today already. But like he's 100% wrong. Get in, man. You have to get in and see, don't you? You have to get in and see like, oh, have I had this degree of an unsafe response to something out in the world? I mean, cool. If you have, then I would that would help me learn from you. That I was like, oh, if you felt this, where you literally were like, oh, essentially, when you get in an ice bath, I don't know, this happens for everybody, it happens for me. I was like, oh, cool. This is probably the closest thing I've had to a panic attack. Where you're like, you're like, I can't, I can barely control my breathing. I feel highly unsafe. Oh no, am I going to die? My body's demanding I get out of the escape, like escape the scenario, go run away, get somewhere safe, get out of the situation. And I can't. And like it, and I, and I'm having enormous difficulty even just like finding a baseline. I was like, I don't even know where my baseline of like calm is. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So in some ways, it's I, it is helpful for me in that sense. But it is funny. Yes, it does, and I completely understand the joke version of it. Yes, it does seem like some some white boyish. Right. Um, <laughs> well, and I want to I want to touch on one thing you said. Um, the other another book I'm, I'm i'm actually close to finishing yeah is uh, the, the body keeps the score and i i don't mean to suggest everything in that book is or, or any book you know so i mentioned that to somebody in a, in a bit recently they're like oh that book's controversial and i was like any fucking book on psychology should be controversial it's a very it young science yeah exactly <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like any i don't trust any psychologist who thinks we've actually um figured it all out and that's that's actually it's funny now that i'm so interested in psychology because i i wish i had met I wish I'd somehow met the people who, who admit, who know that earlier. Cause I, I might've yes. gone, I might've actually studied it more formally. I just had some idea that like, well, psychologists think they've got it all figured out, but thankfully yeah. so many, yeah, yeah. so many of them realize that's, that's a total fallacy. Um, and, but one thing in this book, I mean, it's all about um, uh, Bissell Vanderkoek's uh, research into trauma and, mm. and quite direct treatment uh, in various ways. And I, I, as an aside, I mean, it's one of the reasons I like Brandon Johnson, our new mayor, because he's the only one I've heard mention a program in Chicago called Treatment Not Trauma, you know, with the along with closing 
I think the largest school closure in I think our nation's history several years ago with my former teacher um, at, at our esteemed uh, college, uh, Rahm Emanuel, uh, we've also closed a bunch of mental health clinics. And it just, I don't yeah. know why this is controversial. You know, it's like, like, what the fuck? Like, I don't care who you are. <laughs> Look, we should support mental health now yeah. more than ever. Um, and then, with, and especially with trauma, uh, because, in, you know, and I'm not gonna probably do a great job re, re, reiterating this, but, you know, he talks a lot about wh why that phenomenon exists that you just mentioned. You know, why do people see threats when they don't objectively exist? Yeah. And that's a very common, natural way that the body responds to extreme trauma, especially persistent, yeah. you know, chronic trauma. And to, to me, that's a layer within all of it that's incredibly confusing. Um, and yeah. I think you and I often talk about where like who, kind of who gets the voice or who gets the attention. And even with this recent shooting, it just kind of feels like, well, we got to, we got to kind of choose one group to, yeah. to uplift or to support. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and let's, let's actually bookmark that. Cause I know you've got strong opinions about that, but, but two <laughs> quick stories about safety. One rolling back to uh, summer of 2020. I don't, I don't know what we're calling it. Summer. The, I don't know if it was the summer of love or the summer of protest or the summer of getting the fuck out of our houses or something, but yeah. Um, you know, there was a big event we we hosted, um, and I am, I, you know, I'm involved with uh, defund CPD, defund the police here in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot I can say about that. Um, I, we spend, I think, $1.4 billion on our police force. They're highly militarized. I mean, all, yeah. all kinds of things. Um, so, and, and even as I earlier admitted, like, yes, I could see some, some, um, value in having police to me that's just that's just egregious and i i don't think personally pouring more police into this sort of current situation in chicago is going to lead to more safety and this in this story so we, we had right and this was i don't know for those of us who were doing lockdown you know we talked a lot about that yeah. that even being a pretty major distinction between our lives yeah uh, but here in, here in chicago most of us really were uh so i think a lot of that here even going out and doing the protests and all i mean i like it was a perfect storm of lots of things, right? And part of it was like an excuse to get the hell out of the house. Um, yeah, I, 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 I judge for many of us. Um, oh, for sure, absolutely. It, and and so we had basically this big party. I mean, it was the first time, you know, in summer in Chicago. You know this. I mean, my yeah. God, we spend all all winter being like, oh, oh my God, it's almost summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we we're still like not able to do anything or be with each other. So we we had this big party on something called Freedom Square, and I won't explain all of that right now, but. Um, and it was there was some press there, and it was it was outdoor, and um, you know it was, it was really a beautiful gathering, all masks by the way, uh, yeah. which was funny. I, I I distinctly remember this one black gentleman just just being really vocal <laughs> about the masks and just being like, "You're all being indoctrinated. Like this is like the masks are like ridiculous." Yeah. And you yeah. know, and and we were all kind of like, "Well, we're just going to kind of do it. It seems seems like the right thing." Um, but then the, the, th the thing I really want to get to is at the end of it, it was all done. I was like on crash duty. Um, and so I was one of the last people there. And I distinctly remember, uh, I, was, I was actually standing there with two friends, two women friends. Um, almost nobody was left. And uh, a middle-aged black woman came up and just started borderline, you know, screaming at us. And she was just like, what, what, what the hell are you doing? You know, you come in here, you have a big party. 
you know, you want to talk about getting rid of the police and then you're, you're gone and then you're out of here. And then you're, you know, and you know, she was, she's like, we need the police. You know, they keep us safe. And then she went around, there were flyers that had somebody had put up all around this little square. And yeah. she just went around and was like taking down like every single one of these flyers. Yeah. And then that, I just, it was so, it was hard, you know, cause I just, at the end of a day where I was like, oh yeah, we've, we've got it all figured out. Deep yeah. CPD, that's this is it. Yeah. 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 And, and then, and then, so it was hard and deflating, but in a really healthy way for me to be like, oh shit, this is not nearly as simple as I would like it to be oh, that, gosh, that, right. yeah. that, that we can just sort of make the police go away. And that's going to make, you know, a, that everybody agrees with that, especially the people who are there living yeah. in that neighborhood, yeah. right. Where I'm a, where I'm still a tourist, even though I volunteered there for like three years, I'm still yeah. a tourist. Um, so, so there's that story. Um, and then one just from yesterday, something that's hard for me, actually, it's interesting being, you know, holding identity as a man, but I'll say, but embodying a lot of feminine energy, which I would describe as more like flow and connection rather than like rigidity and container building. And, yeah. but one thing I've learned is that containers, and that can mean a lot of different, it could be actual containers or metaphorical, but in this case, um, building the, a strong container in the context of a meeting agenda. Yeah. I got feedback afterwards that people felt more at ease. Yeah. And they, they, they used the word safe, right? They said, like, I yeah. felt safe because I had clarity, right? Yeah. So there's, there's that. And then I often will refer to, like, a playground. Just think about a playground. Like, like what is, how does, how do we have to build a playground or how do we choose to build a playground to make kids feel safe? There's probably a fence. There's probably a bunch of adults standing around. There's probably six inches of whatever, yeah foam foam or rubber at the bottom of the foam thing. Or, yeah those weird wood chips that somehow don't get splinters from too often i know i'm like i don't know about that. um yeah well yeah and when we were growing up it was yeah i mean who knows and those and that's that's like probably speaking of a more affluent right i mean like lots of kids play on like concrete playgrounds yeah um, that's that's what i grew up on yeah but but like and with all of that safety they're still gonna break their elbow right? oh for sure yeah and so and that's the good. we want them to yeah I'm doing more monologuing today than usual. No, but no, it's fun. I, lo I love it. You know, I love it. But the last thing I'll say is um, with, when people push against safe space, I'll sometimes say, well, it's kind of like safe sex. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, is sex ever really safe at an emotional level? No. I mean, no, maybe. That's, that's kind of why it's fun. Right? Yeah. So, but it, but it kind of puts in a lot of the same things. Like, we can talk about physical safety. We yeah. can talk about disease we can talk about as you often do the unborn we can talk about the emotional you know characteristics yeah. so i don't know there's there's something there i want to keep exploring but i'll pause right now yeah no it's fascinating it's well well let's actually i just uh, i mean this is going to be very chicago nerdy so we'll keep it relatively brief but like so brandon johnson's an interesting case right where so he was a, he's a teacher's union organizer yeah. Oh, yeah. Hardcore. So, like, so in, I know in your world that like abolishing the police is like a popular refrain, and uh, I'm certainly adjacent to that. And um, I'm probably more into like a defund. I'm like, I'm uh, my aim wouldn't be abolition ultimately, uh, because I would basically my abolition would involve me just reforming what would essentially be a police structure anyway. Um, so, but so, but I love abolition in general because I'm an abortion abolitionist. So like that's, and I think your aim should be exactly what you want always as opposed to what you think you can get 
So, you know, I, uh, I, I, herald, uh, I, I herald you in that. Um, but I am also adjacent to a ton of worlds that want to abolish um, the teachers union, um, considering it one of the most harmful, uh, one of the most harmful organized bodies in uh, certainly in the United States of America. Um, and so it's fascinating to me. I was like, Brandon Johnson, especially in this, like having a focus on like mental health and treatment. Uh, you talked about school closures. I was like, he was part of the organization that advocated for school closures, which were all harm and all harm, uh, but out of fostered out of a safe, like a quote unquote safety claim. You know what I mean? An attempt to be safety, like in, in sort of an attempt of doing a safety maneuver definably and definitively only made us less safe in like a, a hilarious i mean in terms of violence self-harm uh i mean violence against others uh, rose in the city uh, self-harm rose up in the city alcoholism rose in the city um it eventually led to it, it allowed allowed segre literally segregation return to the city all of which something that he advocated for was the tip of the spear of. And so I was just fascinated that I was like, I understand it was like a Democrat versus a Democrat. So in that way, there's like, you can't relate. Maybe it didn't come up as much in the thing. But I was like, how did he answer that? If he's saying that he wants like, he wants to like help the community. When I was like, you, he was specifically an advocate of something that harmed in many ways, like the most vulnerable people in the community for no benefit. You know what I mean? Like you could say there's some benefit for police, right? Um, I would say there's some benefit of police. Uh, they they do catch some criminals. They do take some domestic violence people away from committing domestic violence. They catch robbers. You know, um, they I you know on the whole are they more harm than than benefit? I think is an excellent question that we should be constantly examining. Um, but there is no benefit to school closures um, that anyone could that I've ever seen. And I've, I've looked into, I mean, literally I have a file on my phone. You can scroll like two, three times in my notes folder, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, 15 studies. Um, so I, I'm fascinated in some ways. I was like, how did he win on that? Like, that's fascinating to me. Like, or, or how is he pushed on that? Especially in terms of people being so concerned about violence in the city. Uh, and obviously what he did created more, like, led to correlatively, I should say, as opposed to causatively, to be certain, correlatively led to learning loss. Kids are stupider. They know less. They're hurting each other more often. Like, did he sort of disavow that throughout that? Like, how did how did he get out from under that? Because I'm very curious as to like, in terms of safe space, he created a more deadly and dangerous space through actively through his actions as a because to me, like, again, that's like someone as as weird as someone being like a member of the police force. Like when Kamala Harris got to be vice president and she was for years, she was like top cop. And I was like, in 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 defund the police era, we have a vice president who is top cop. Like what in the, like that's such cognitive dissonance to me uh, as to our, yeah. our, state, our stated desires. Like how did he get, how did he win? Or was the other guy just that terrible? <laughs> Uh, it, it was really easy to paint Vallis as like the devil. I mean, yeah, he was the school was, guy too. So know, in some ways, they did the same wrong things. But he, but he was like the business guy, right? Okay, like okay. he was he was more. I don't, yeah, he's the he's been the CEO of different school districts. And yeah, yeah, okay. I I, I think literally that title, which is interesting. Yeah, right? I saw that too. Like I've never CEO, seen that before. A CEO, yeah. a CEO versus a superintendent or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this is an area where I I I never 
go quite deep enough. I'd like to think I go deeper than like the average American, but that's pathetic in terms of actually being an informed voter. Being, <laughs> yeah. being an informed voter. Yeah. I mean, uh, lots of people uh, I know who are who are deep in like deliberative democracy spaces are, are like, yeah, like popular vote by the average citizen is not actually the way to, you know, have. A, you could argue that that's like a true democracy, but that's not necessarily the way that leads to the best policies that are going to have the best outcomes for people. Because the oh, average yeah. person doesn't yep. really have a fucking clue, like how yep. how a lot of these systems yep. work. And that's me. For, that's me too. Um, so I I don't entirely know what I do. What I would correlate, just kind of like what I see in my activist groups. Yeah, is a is a deeply deeply pro union attitude generally. Yeah. Just, yeah. just pro labor unions, and you know there are reasons for that. I mean, in terms of the the working wage and the yeah. the getting the weekend, and you know there there's certainly things that unions have accomplished uh, over the years. Yeah. But what I'm always tracking, and I think to some extent you are maybe using different language, just like yeah, but what happens when we concentrate power? So yeah, yeah. That's that's I don't I don't personally just trust unions because <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they because they were fighting against a worse system which i i think that's true generally I, they, I they, that's too. why I, they that's yeah, why I they agree. appeared yeah and yet there's any huge concentration of power like that almost inevitably leads to some misstep if not outright corruption yeah. um so so yeah i think it's i think it's very wise to interrogate the teachers union in particular like both my parents are teachers so yeah, yeah. I've got a, I've got a huge a general bias towards teachers, and I think it's probably yeah. easy easy if if not misguided to sort of accidentally to just be like oh well the teachers union that's a bunch of teachers you know ergo oh, in oh interesting like, yeah, yeah 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 right like it's a union first of all good good social yep. justice stuff it's yep. teachers cool teachers are great yeah and then and then we oh, I don't know a lot of us probably stop there. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have I have I have one good friend who was actually we were split on this and he was voting for ballot and I and I was in gently kind of trying to have a dialogue about it which he actually shut down because he was just like I don't it's like my personal vote it's like it's a very personal thing for me I don't I don't want to talk about it yeah which was really disappointing because I I wasn't coming in hard I was just like I literally want to learn I just I literally yeah, want like yeah. we like we do here I'm like like our dialogues have really taught me and sort of boiled me on on like having dialogue and learning about other viewpoints in a way that i'm like when well, that doesn't yeah. happen now i'm like oh man <laughs> oh, come on it's like, so I, I promise it's good yeah um and and, and one of the things he's he he cited was like look i'm i'm just yeah like but that's, the teachers union association is not going to win me over like that's that's i have no love for the for the teachers um, union so yeah yeah i i don't know i i will continue to look into it um i i just i just assume a lot of people to either made just sort of the, the general uh cor correlations that i just named or yeah maybe we're willing to look past it for a variety of other reasons i don't know yeah yeah it's fine i think it's a good it makes an interesting test case because people are like yeah what do you like, what do you find safety in, you know? And if you find, I, I think people find find perceptions of safety uh, in perceptions of safety as opposed to safety itself, <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, can we pause this um, for an uh, emergency bio break? I'll be right back and then we can you know, crash yeah. for a landing. I need one too. Uh, here we are back taking care of ourselves. Oh, this is... Uh something I'll share from 
earlier this week, I, I went to a gathering, a Zoom gathering, a group I really enjoy very much around healing. And I just couldn't, I, I just was done, beyond done for the day. And I just checked in my check-in. I was like, you know, I end up checking out. And then somebody put in the chat, they <laughs> yeah. said, somebody said in the chat, thank you for taking care of Andy for us. And I was like, that, that, that makes me feel sick when I have permission to go do what I need to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to restate, it was just nagging me a little, I think how it came out earlier. I think I said something like, I can't imagine anybody or I don't trust anybody who, who says they can, they can imagine a post-police, you know, non, non-police, truly abolitionist world. Yeah. Um, I want to retract that because I so believe in the power of human imagination, as, as I know yeah. to you, um, yeah, yeah. being even, even more officially involved with the world of, of fictional storytelling than I am. <laughs> um, so I absolutely believe we must be able to imagine it and imagine whatever future state we are trying to achieve. Um, yeah. What I don't, what I would restate though, is that I don't trust anybody who says they know exactly how to get there. I oh, just yeah. think it is far too complex and that validates the whole premise of our show is we actually need to come together when yeah. with people who have really pretty wildly different ideas about how we might get there or what yeah. that even looks like yeah um, so well, you, and you know from organizing people how difficult it is even to agree to that goal or whatever um i've been oh, off and on God. involved with the pro-life community or whatever and those who seek abolition are a a vocal but probably let's be honest probably a statistical minority amongst those who profess to the uh, 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 whatever, hold, hold to the, the moniker of, of pro-life. So then even getting people to agree that that's the goal is monumentally difficult. Um, Absolutely. Very, I very. mean, in some ways, you, you, can, you can only imagine it. <laughs> you can only imagine getting uh, an entire group to agree to an actual goal in order to get to some sort of conclusion. And this is why people love uh, you know, uh, benevolent despot theory, uh, that if you can get, okay, well, if one person states the goal, and then we all Bless work you. towards, uh, and then we all work towards making that goal happen. I mean, that's why I think in some ways there's great comfort in the achievements of, uh, let's say corporate America, <laughs> you know, or of, like of work existence when you're like, you know what? I just love it. It's simple. We're just trying to meet quota on this and this and this. And then we all go, is that, do we all agree? Doesn't even matter sometimes, but is that what we're all doing? Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, how do we achieve that? How sad is that's neurologically, chemically, very satisfying, you know? And I think that's what can be, can waylay us though, in, in quote unquote, real life in terms of safety, where it's just like, can we all agree? Okay. My group is agreed, right? We saw this with like, uh, whatever, we can go back to masks, uh, uh, you know, masking, right? Like, oh, it's we agree. We we all agree, masking is good because again, it came down from on high, from more of a corporate structure, uh, where it's like the CEO, you know, whatever, head of the NIH says the mask, or CD, head of CDC, where, where it was Renfield at the time. Yeah. So the CDC says, so okay, the corporate structure, the CEO, then the CEO of diseases uh, says we should all wear masks. So we all agree, and then of course, not everyone agrees, and then. And then no one really examines like whether that's a good goal or not. It's like, well, wait, no, I didn't agree. No one agreed to nominate that the CDC was our CEO. And then everyone's like, no, they are. And that, you know, it's like once you, but again, I think it's very like corporate 
kind of corporate thinking in a way. And again, maybe that's a benefit or detriment to me is that I don't, I've, I've very rarely been involved in corporations like that in my, throughout my existence, like in a, in a, in a work life way. Right. In some ways that kind of thinking is, I, I barely understand it, you know, or to me, it's like, it's, it's something really reserved for the realm of like that, which is uh, ineffably, religiously, eternally, uh, foundationally, like logos level true. And everything else is like, well, everything else is a negotiation. You know, I've always worked either freelance, so then I'm like, well, then I can leave, you know, or it's a, it's a sort of temporary agreement to then, uh, you know, obey this sort of hierarchical structure. But it is fascinating how much we love hierarchical, uh, again, like you were talking about containers, uh, organization systems, uh, hierarchical structures give us that sense of safety. And I would I would contend, actually, in a lot of cases, do actually grant us some degree of safety, right? I mean, this is the whole premise behind the wall. Why Donald Trump talking about building a wall made a ton of people feel great. Build a wall. Cool. Put a fence around the playground. Yes. Great. I would feel so much better if you did that. Build a wall around the country. Yes. I'd feel so much better if you did that. I would feel safe from external invasion, right? Which is so smart in a way. I, I still think building a wall is like wildly impractical and I don't really understand it, but whatever. Um uh, and I, I just don't think walls, I don't really like walls in general. I don't like fences in general. Uh, now I own a home for the first time with like heavily considered like building a fence for the safety of our children, essentially. And I was like, oh gosh, but I hate fences. It's very hard for me. Um, so, but I understand the motivation of that, right? The Trumpian motivation of build a wall. And then, you know, the Chicago, that's exactly what Chicago did. That's what they built a wall, you know, a, a segregative wall. I was like, that's what people do. They're like, keep the, just tell me, even, even if it's not true, tell me that the bad people will stay outside. Right. And like it's every, and every, yeah, everyone's into it. Everyone's into it. There's no, like, in terms of like ideal, ideologically, like statistically everyone, that means there are outliers and exceptions, but like, quote unquote, everyone's into some degree of that, of having a front door, of having walls, of having tent walls, of whatever, having a structure that like tells you, putting a blanket over your head to keep the monsters away. Like we all function from that sort of safety premise. And I was actually thinking about this. Let me just lay this out there, see if this sparks anything interesting. I was thinking, this is what's so interesting about Democrats and Republicans uh, as they, especially recently, these are both hot button issues. Um, one of which we've talked about, one of which we haven't yet, but I think we will in the future. Um, and that Republicans and Democrats both have very issues they're super passionate about. They're essentially about safety from external invasion. Okay, here's my thesis. The two, uh, what is it? The sort of two policies or two laws or two uh, goings on in the United States that make us most safe from foreign invasion are the Second Amendment and legal abortion. The Second Amendment, because in the Red Dawn scenario, anybody country that comes in here doesn't know who in the hell is packing because it could be right. flipping everybody. So that's right. that's 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 an intimidating prospect, right? When Ukraine got invaded by Russia, they started. They literally were handing out assault rifles, y'all. They were literally like, "Anybody, grandmas can come get one. Everyone, come get a weapon." Whereas here, I mean, it's it's broadcast across the world, and I think intentionally that like we have more guns than people. So if you want to invade the U.S., <laughs> eventually every every war has to end up with ground troops. So when you get to that realm. <laughs> Have fun, buddy. We're all grandma's packing. Kids are packing. You know what I mean? We're shooting up schools, right? We're crazy over here. Don't come get us. And then the abortion thing is basically 
We're so fucking crazy that we will kill our own kids. And if we will murder our own children, just think what we do to you. You're a stranger. You're a foreign invader. That's how not like we we will go all the flipping way. So both of those and in some and I think this is this is my premise. I think this is psychologically true that for Republicans and Democrats, that is part of why both of those issues are fundamentally uh, protective and about safety in terms of like, the, I mean, in the grand like world sense, like they keep they keep China, both of those keep China from invading us in a way. Well, I'll pick up the first one briefly, which is, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me that yeah, like it it seems like in um, multinational warfare, uh, well, this relates actually to something else I wanted to bring in about predictability, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that it's like a risk analysis we often go back to, right? So if you're talking about war, and that's that's changed pretty dramatically, right? Like compared yeah. to like when it was just. I don't know, material war, right? Like, like yes. big ships and oh armies gosh, and stuff. Yeah. And then then it became like, we're like the Cold War. And then now we're in this like information war and who knows what next. Um, and you're right, at the end of the day, like that, that <laughs> in a weird way, like that does make me feel more safe. And, and a lot of people carry a gun. Uh, well, again, anecdotally, people I've heard from who I know carry guns, that makes them feel more safe, right? Yeah. And they... But it's kind of like the, I remember when SUVs were coming out and my family was like super anti-SUV. We were like, we have a sedan and it was really hilarious because it was like, we're all packed in this little sedan and we got a car carrier and all this shit. And it's like, yeah. And, and But then it became like this so-called safety war. There's a, yeah. there's always like this escalation thing, right? Where it's like, oh, well shit. And now for me to be safe, I have to have an SUV. And I, you know, so I feel like that's often a factor yeah. in pretty much most of these conversations. So. But one of the things I want to mention was, um, as a somatic uh, practitioner, I, I really enjoy um, part of her community, Abigail Rose Clark, and she often relates things to biology in a really mm. cool way. And I remember her talking once about just like a cellular membrane, mm. right? So mm -hmm. for those of us who kind of want to look to nature as maybe holding more wisdom and answers than, <laughs> than yeah. uh, which I correlate with, with God, uh, like, uh, yeah, maybe there's something there. And it's like, well, a cellular membrane lets certain things out and doesn't let certain things yeah or let certain things in and not other other things right it's specifically filtering for certain i don't know molecules particles whatever it is um so there's something quite natural uh, yeah. about boundaries and yeah. and so to me I'll, I'll say if i were just to name you know two things like boundaries and agreements that, that are pretty consistent for me and so going back to what you're saying about a fence potentially being like a healthy boundary and it, and it seems like yeah now now a whole separate thing i don't know that we've touched on too much like i'm not all in on like property ownership as as a healthy yeah. thing because i think that isolates us and divides us in communal structures that ultimately makes us less safe because then we don't mm -hmm. we don't know our neighbors if i don't i don't know half the people on this block yeah yeah that's I would feel more safe if I knew everybody and I, yeah. and I knew. Well, unless they we were, were unless they were terribly happened. unsafe people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So maybe, maybe <laughs> ignorance, ignorance. Can be I no, cool. I think that's, I mean, I think that I'm not a fence person, but I was like trying to understand fence people. I think that's the thing. They're like, I was like, Oh no, my, my, my neighbors are not trustworthy people. That's why I don't uh, like fences. Cause that, for that same thing you're talking about, it was like, they don't like it explicitly says that it was like, I don't trust y'all. 
<laughs> and so one thing this was just bubbling up for me lately like is safety is one definition of safety i mean there, there's like the in the moment safety like is somebody holding yeah. a gun to me yeah. and, and yeah. you know could i be shot right but but more generally speaking like is safety about or feeling safe because you you kind of brought up this yeah. idea of um i think before our little break like is the perception of safety is that safety um and so in that lens i would say it's about predictable expectations mm-hmm. to some extent um so years ago i mean that's a long long time ago maybe 20 years ago i i i was toying with this little equation for happiness and it was like it was simply reality divided by expectation mm-hmm. so if your reality exceeds your expectations then you're going to be happy and it, it, i never quite thought that was a, like the right equation so i haven't talk, thought much about it but recently i was like wait a minute maybe that's an equation for safety Mm-hmm. which we could have a we could try to correlate safety and happiness but sure sure yeah like i was like yeah so i'm curious about that like what is the relationship between expectations yes predictable expectations and safety yeah well it's interesting even uh correlating directly to like well a masculine and feminine for the egg and the sperm and then uh b in the um in the immigration standpoint right which is like again, except like if people are coming over the border illegally, that's unacceptable. That's, that's, that's uh, an unaccepted passage, right? Where, so the expectation is people will go through the immigration process. You set the process and you set the container out and it's like, you will go through the process and then that will keep everyone chill. Like, I don't know anybody, I'm sure there are people, but I don't know anybody who's anti-immigration, you know, who's like, don't let anybody in from anywhere, but they're just like, you have to go through the process. And if it sucks and it's hard for you, like tough luck, you know, that's, that's the, that's the measure. You don't get to have, you don't get to penetrate uh, every orifice you desire just because that orifice is super sexy, essentially. Right. They're like illegal immigration is uh, um, yes. I'm literally uh, correlating illegal immigration to rape. Um, Cause I want to take it to reproduction. When you're talking about like permeable and non-permeable membranes, the, uh, and this is also interesting for masculine feminine energy too, in terms of expectations, then the, the masculine energy, just if we are sperm-like, uh, is, is to seek to permeate the membrane, whether or not it allows us or not. And we're just in a lot of trying to get there first, right? Um, and, then, and then the membrane is trying to be preservative, right? And again, this is why I think feminism is also partially responsible for our safetyism culture. And that I actually think that's part of what the feminine energy is for, is to be protective. And I think part of the masculine energy is to be assaultive. Like it's, it's important for us to have the capacity to invade, to like break out of norms, to, to, in it. and I think that's why generally, again, not exclusively, but that's why like males tend towards innovation, uh, innovate like mass innovations or whatever, like provocative innovations, as well as flipping, invading other countries. So it's positive and negative um, than women, because women tend to be like, how to, okay, here's, here's where we're at. How do we make this place safe? And if you can't, if you don't have safety, it's actually quite difficult. Some degree of safety, it's very difficult to innovate. So these are these are mutually interdependent processes. Uh, not to suggest one is is, is superior to the other. Um, all of that uh, filters, to, I think, to in many ways, sort of support to support your theory. Um, but then, and this is why, at like feelings of safety based on expectation, uh, therefore happiness, um, would vary different by uh, not only by human temperament. Or masculine feminine energy but literally by men and women as well although it's interesting too like the 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 one kink in the works to work out the formula because i like your formula is 
there is now, um, you're setting yourself up for, if that formula is true, you're setting yourself up for some psychological failure in that uh, you can actually have a, like a, a impoverished or depressed or anxious response when things don't go poorly when you expect them to, right? Mm. So this, this, can, this can loop us all the way back to the talk about police, right? So then if you expect police things to kind of go likely go poorly and they don't, you can get out of a police situation and still have a negative association with that like an anxious, negative feeling because it didn't turn violent, you know? And women have to, and this is why I bring up women a lot, is like in this context, women statistically, if they're being reasonable, have a higher uh, anxiety as to physical danger, being generally uh, physically weaker and just statistically more prone to receive, receiving sexual violence, assault, et cetera. So- mm -hmm. That means actually then they're in a double, you're in a double bind, meaning you're anxious already because of that. But then when your expectations aren't met, when someone doesn't assault you in that situation, you actually have a second sort of, in many ways, maybe like a sort of a dopamine drop. And, and so you're doubly anxious when things don't go wrong. Because then even this is, this is not how statistics work, but I think this is how the human brain often takes statistics. It's like, uh-oh, I got through this time. That means next time I'm probably even more likely to get assaulted. <laughs> it didn't happen. Or, this or it's time. just, yeah. or it's like less predictable. Like, oh crap! Like I, yeah. I, I at least I thought I knew. Yeah. I, at least I thought I knew this game and how to yeah. and how to survive it. And now, holy crap! Like what? Now, not, yeah, nothing know? bad happened. I, I, so, oh, I, no. I met a nice cop. Oh shit! You know, like what? Yeah. What does that mean? That you makes know? me less. Yeah, that makes me less safe. So in some ways, are like, are again, are this is the prop. This is the good thing about pushing yourself into in. Like quote unquote adverse scenarios, whether this is in conversation or ice baths or whatever, flipping combat or ju mental jujitsu or physical jujitsu, you know, all those sorts of things. So, like putting yourself in uncomfortable positions on a regular basis is, I think, this is just my thesis, is the way to sort of escape the negative parts of safetyism. Challenging, constantly challenging your physical and mental assumptions about what makes you safe. And this is why, again, this is why a hue politically like towards liberalism classic liberalism which is like we have to you have to stay open right you, there should only be brave spaces if we're really trying to be more safe because as you create safe spaces then everything else feels unsafe relatively until you're in you know a black mirror episode and you're in these like abjectly sterile environments which we've talked about before in terms of technology actually makes you more susceptible to disease outside of that environment and the next thing you know and this is a general thesis i've not invented this once you're outside of safe spaces, like once kids leave safe spaces at college, they get in the world and they're like, what the hell? People are monsters. You know what I mean? And then you become infuriated. You know what I mean? You're just like, what is, and then you get into this binary thinking because you're so flipping freaked out. And then you're like, you're, and then next thing you know, you're John Stewart. Where you're like, if you don't agree with my gun control laws that I say are going to solve this problem, you don't care about dead kids. You're like, oh snap! That's where we're like, that's where you get to, where you're like, you're because then you're just selling something. You're anti-safety in the most fundamental sense, and they're like, oh no, we don't. None of us want to. I'm just saying, I'm always trying to bump us into a landing. None of us want to get there, y'all. That, that is not. It may seem cool because you can get retweeted and you can go viral or whatever, but that's not a that's not a healthy place to be at all. Like John, John Stewart is not in a healthy place when it comes to gun control, for example, because of this safety concept. And we want to be like, oh, 
when someone's triggered or whatever, oh, why do you, let's inspect, same thing you're talking, let's come around people. Doesn't mean you stop pushing. You could be like, why don't you feel safe while you continue to make them unsafe? I mean, that's all, if there's cookies, if there's cookies in an open door and an unlocked door, I feel like you're, you're still in, you're in the clear. Don't lock the door and don't not provide cookies. I was, I was telling them it would be punched and packed. Um, <laughs> well, this may blow up your interest in coming in for landing, but I, I don't yeah. want to leave this conversation without, without naming something which we've talked about a bit and we'll continue oh, yeah. to talk about, which is uh, in, in the context of the national shooting, the, the oh, yeah. shooter was, was identified as trans. And, um, and that, that led to a, a pretty interesting societal response um, but in the context of, of trans safety, yeah. my working every day with it, somebody who identifies as trans, knowing a number of trans folks, um, in my experience, every single one of them feels less safe. Yeah. Uh, and, and tells stories of that. And, you know, even something like walking through the airport. Um, yeah. Just how they're treated, how they're looked at, how they're, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, all the way down to the other end of the spectrum of physical violence. And I remember yeah. several months ago, I think, you know, I, I, you provoked me to, I don't know, do, do some more research around it. And the, and the reality was yeah. at that time, I couldn't find a whole lot of evidence that, that there, were, there was more violence. And so I trust that there is. I just do. Because yeah. again, like I, I so am over sort of um, bias towards towards the, the anecdotes and stories of people I know. Um, so I'm curious if you want to tag into any of that in the context oh, yeah. of trans safety specifically and, and with a response to the recent shooting. Well, I mean, that would, to me, I would just, I would slap my thesis on it until disproven of that the perception of uh, safety is the problem there more than actual safety. Uh, I don't, statistically, I mean, until, until you could, until we can, until we can prove it, then are they unsafe? Yes. Are we all unsafe? Yes. Are they? Are you more unsafe? I would incline to say I wouldn't be shocked if there were. I just there isn't compelling evidence that a trans a trans identifying person is more unsafe. Uh, then again, adjust. You have to adjust for a ton of co-founders, right? Co confounders or co-founders or whatever uh, comorbidities, <laughs> psychological or comorbidities. Uh, I the reason I would assume. There, could, there would be likely be a slight uptick as related to safety is a trans person is a less safe person to everybody else. Meaning containers keep us safe. So uh, males identifying as males and females identifying as females uh, is a, to, to, I would say the, the quotidian mind, right? And this is kind of based on my premise of like are trans people higher order uh, are they higher evolved beings? Because that to me is the only tenable premise really to sort of like cleave to, to, um, to uh, affirming trans identity. Um, so if they are, let's say they aren't for just sake of argument, they're just the same as all the rest of us. Then they have uh, abandoned a central or foundational container or fence. Um, and it's not about expression. It's not about looking like. Uh, but it's it's attendant to looking like. But now we're in a situation where people don't just look like, but then they're saying they are not. So they're saying they're not in the container that most human beings throughout human history believed was a uh, an, an impermeable membrane. 
So then they're functioning as though that membrane is now not only permeable, but it is imminently per permeable by, by volition, by mere volition or, or decision, right? That you can just simply decide and then you are this. And not only that, but then people have to agree with your new container. You've, you've devised a new container. That makes people feel fundamentally unsafe. And so there's something, but I think that's, you have to expect that, right? This is part of, we've talked about drag a teeny bit on, on our text, but like that's part of one of the titillations of drag um, or cross-dressing in general is, oh, you're violating the container. We all know you are. That's kind of part of why it's fun is go, oh gosh, you're going that, what if that, what if, what if I don't have to? What if I could do this? You're like, oh gosh, what if? It feels like magic. It's tightrope walking, right? Um, but tightrope walking is for most people unsafe. I've tried to walk on a slack line. I fall on the ground. I hurt myself. Oh, it's so frequently. hard. It's I'm really scared. the hardest. Yeah. I my my I don't know if it's my inner core strength or whatever. It's just it's not it's not it's not well rehearsed. Anyway, well, so and so I want to point way, out go, go. the way you the way you dress yeah. is atypical uh, yes. of, of yeah, I'd yeah. say the average American white man. So yeah. people may you may even experience some of that. Oh, with, I'm I'm sure you, I make you, people feel you you, you you express outside of the, the container, right? Yes. Yeah. I understand. Well, I understand that about trans identifying persons. Like I like make and I believe this is true of trans identifying people, that they like make pe making people feel unsafe. That that is part of the joy of going, I don't care whether this makes you feel unsafe. This makes me feel more safe. I live that way. I'm I'm a pro I any trans identifying person who does the moves into some like overt expression of such is being a provocateur like myself. So again, I'm not condemning of that. Like, how dare you? People, help people, would you? Help everybody, you're here for everyone. I was like, all right, well, what's what's best for everyone? You know, and it, it's, it's a tenable thesis that pr provocation is tenable. What I've, what, and that, but this, take it back to myself, I'm, I felt very provoked and very triggered by the, I felt unsafe. I feel actually phenomenally unsafe because of the Nashville shooting. We could talk about this in gun control episodes. So I'll, I'll try to do a microcosm of this, but this was the first shooting I've ever seen um, where the identity of the people shot was under discussed to a degree I've never seen before. Um, and the identity of the shooter was highlighted as to the sort of anti-blank hate thing. And I've talked about it with you a lot. And I, I mean, I could, this has been highlighted by, uh, I just read a piece by all sides about it. They were like, oh, this is the first time the president has not mentioned the religious affiliation of a religiously assaulted group. Uh, he laughed, our president, Joseph Biden, literally laughed when someone said, oh, Senator Hawley said Christians were targeted here. You know, would you think this is a hate crime? And he was like, <laughs> he was like, well, if he said it, probably not. <laughs> now, listen, gallows humor, I, I don't condemn him as like, a, what a monster. Gallows humor is very normal, I think, if you're the president and the amount of like horror that you have to learn about on a daily basis. I'm not condemning him for that. Um, but it made me realize that I was like, oh, whatever classes, because I am a Christian. Um, that So then I was like, oh, I'm certainly not a protected class um, in terms of the national media or the White House or whatever. I was like, they don't, they don't give a rat's patoot about whatever group I'm part of. Um, such that, again, comparing the Atlanta, Atlanta shootings is a great example, the Atlanta spa shootings, uh, and Biden just mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, brought up the anniversary of it. And he was like, and anti-Asian hate across the country. Let me just remind everyone, there still is not a single 
tether of anti-Asian sentiment or hate as related to the Atlanta spa shootings. But that's how they were covered. I think that's how most people still assume that they had anything to do with. There's not been one whip. I, I challenge you to go look it up. That person shot Asian people and uh, I think a, a Mexican dude and then another, like a white lady, shot, shot a whole bunch of different people. Shot a whole bunch of people at spas. It was spa, it was spa worker hate. Um, anyways, so that for some reason, the shooter tar didn't even target a community, but they made it, they meaning the, the national news media and the White House made it about that community, right? And how afraid everyone was, how unsafe they were, even though this incident had nothing tenable to do with the safety of that community. Then when a community of Christians is, is shot, the national coverage, including the White House, talked about the, the lack of safety and anti-trans hate, even though not a single trans person was shot. It was just a, a trans identifying person who went and shot people. So I was like, okay, wait a second. <laughs> so I'm in some sort of category, I guess, as a person in this culture where I like my identity is so is so unimportant that the identity of the shooter, the, the murderer, is actually the the thing we need to be focusing on in helping protect and keep society safer. I was like, that is so a that's just nonsensical from an objective, like rational point of view. Um, it's hypocritical, obviously. But then, and that made me for the for a very then I struggled with it all this week, kind of a sense of like deeper anxiety where I was like, oh, I'm told I'm being told specifically that, and I was like, they don't do this to anybody else. Like when 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 a when they the Buffalo shooter went in and shot. Uh, a bunch of black folks, like only black folks, they were like, black folks, y'all need to be, the black folks are scared. And I was like, F yeah, they flipping should be. That's flipping horrifying. That's terrible. When a bunch of Christians were shot up only, then they were like, yeah, well, tra trans people need to be afraid. So imagine if after the Buffalo shooting, they were like, man, you know, white people, you need to be concerned. Like we would have all been like, what the hell is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? This is crazy town. So I, that made me feel unsafe, meaning that I was like, oh, fundamentally, the person who runs this country um, is not concerned about safety as relates to any identity uh, markers that I may hold. Or I would say in that case, like the most fundamental, uh, essential identity marker. So I thought this shooting yeah. was really provocative and, and interesting. Yeah, well... I appreciate you sharing vulnerably about how it really impacted you. And um, I think one thing that's coming up is, is uh, like the lack of the perception of safety. Yeah. And, and certainly actual safety in terms of physical safety. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the lack of perception of safety begets lack of safety that, right? Like, so I, Again, anecdotally, certainly, and, and I, I think there's some evidence of, you know, people targeting trans folks because the shooter was trans. So there, there's a component of that. Um, and I need to dig deeper in that. Yeah, there's been um, no, there's not, they, kept, they highlighted anti-trans legislation, which is a biased term. So stopping someone from- Well, I, I, you know I just wouldn't be surprised even if it was one person, but I assume more that was like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, hate on trans people because a trans person shot up a bunch of people, right? Now, yeah, does yeah. that warrant the oversimplification of? I think what's something we're both very sensitive to is just like it's like oh, it's like you got it. You can only choose one group, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you, you can only choose one group to protect. You can only choose one group to have empathy for. You can only choose one narrative to support. Yeah. And in this case, it was like, oh, like trans people are generally more targeted, um, more, uh, you know, experiencing less safety. And so what we're more, what we're most worried about here is, yeah. is like the narrative I'm picking up is that the retaliation against the trans community is going to be so severe because yeah. this shooter was trans right. that that's that's who we need to protect which creates, I, which I, creates I, it. yeah right uh, uh, and but and you're yeah. speaking vulnerably about being a christian and saying okay i don't know maybe but what <laughs> what about the people who are actually shot and they have those people yeah. too so yeah i well, i yeah yeah, they don't believe. Well, the thing is, is like that's that that I think that is the theory, um, but it's not an objective. It's it's well, this is a, a, another principle that we can talk about in a separate issue or whatever. But like, um, I, I think the hard thing is it's gross. It is objectively hypocritical, but it's only objectively hypocritical via principle, meaning uh, like when people are victimized, we empathize with victims. That is not a. Uh, that is not the principle being applied. I think the principle is, no, there are particular groups we care about and particular groups we don't, in which case it's not hypocritical. Like we care about Asians. So then if Asians are afraid or, but this is this is the wild thing though, in, in creating coverage, which has no basis in reality other than conjecture, and then uh, literally ignoring the actual functional reality of who got killed, um, then, you're creating, this is the same thing with the anti-Asian thing after the Atlanta spa shooting, you're creating that fear. You're creating the sense of, of lack of safety, even though it has not, and tethering it to something that has nothing to do with it. So that's the thing that like, that is, I don't care what your, your thesis is or what your premise or principle or lack thereof is, that's not helpful. Like that, that's, you're not helping anyone by making people more afraid of something based on something that has, that's literally like saying, if someone choked on a popsicle and then you did a story about how people have been choking on chicken bones and you really need to be scared of chicken bones. You're just like, wait, what, what are you talking? Like, what are you? Because choking is possible. Because choking, yeah, because violence is possible. You Asians, you really need to be worried about it in life because look how bad it can get. You're like, well, that has nothing to do with this. So then what do you even, and so to me, once you like, once you like at that point, you're in a misrepresentation or in the case of the Atlantic shootings, you're lying, like they're lying. There's no, they're, they're just, or they're you're inventing. It's, it's, it's a fabrication. And so I was like, and likewise with this, the, I, again, I've read extensively articles. I was like, wait, why are they saying this? Did something happen? Like after Nashville, did someone go and like bust up like a trans bar or something like what what happened and all anyone referenced was quote unquote anti-trans legislation which in and of itself so i was like well that's not objectively true either because all quote unquote anti-trans legislation i've ever read and i've read a ton of it it's not anti-trans at all it literally is just it's again it's a different it's arguing about what means are best to help people who identify as trans some people who say you should affirm some people who say you should deny neither one of those are anti that person, a person, a trans identifying person. And we should argue, we should argue openly as to like, how do you best help people? So I was like, that's the, that's the wild thing. It just makes people feel unsafe. And I'm assuming at this point that it's on purpose. Like they want, I would say in general, the media wants people to feel unsafe because then they're more likely to click. 
and that obviously the, the the federal government wants us to feel unsafe because then we feel like we need them. Right. But once you create that, and this is the thing with safe spaces too, if you create the sense that people are gonna like, then they need you to kind of help protect them. And I was like, well, yeah. we really all we do all need each other. But again, just like you were talking about, do we once you start centralizing power or authority figures? who are the only ones who can help provide this safety for you, or even a philosophy, then you've, then you're in, we start retreating from each other and become, like you said, we start building fences and we become less safe. Yeah. My basic disposition is this, this escalation won't end well. No, like that's, that's not the path that will just keep, keep escalating. And, yeah. and I think decreasing safety overall. Right. Yeah. Um, why do we need to get them in for landing? is what the heck was the question even <laughs> does does safety make us safe i'm i'm gonna go with no on this yeah go with no. i'm gonna go i'm gonna stay i'm gonna stay let's agree on this one i'll say no i mean it's a you know it's a mixed bag as we've discussed at this point but i would say generally principally dominantly meaning more than 50 percent. i'm gonna stick with no we're gonna we're gonna i think we're agreeing on this one uh but at the same time thank you as always Thank you always, uh, not just in agreeing with me, uh, but actually in sometimes quite the opposite of uh, making my my heartbeat race or, or pump up or my body get hotter. Um, thank you for helping me feel safe uh, without uh, indulging safetyism by um, listening, responding, sharing, exploring together. Um, and just all the ways, myriad ways you've loved me um, ideologically and materially. You're welcome, and thank you for loving me. Until we meet again quite All soon, right. my friend. I love you, safe space. Love you. See you soon. Bye. Bye.